0: Hi, I'm April, and I'm Sam, and welcome to Current
1: Climate. Join us each week as we learn more about what we can do to help the natural world with small changes and big actions.
0: Hey guys, welcome to episode four of Current Climate.
1: Before we get into today's episode, we just want to thank two lovely humans who put five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. want to thank... Tizzy122, and Lizard yum. Thank you guys so much. So we really appreciate that. And then I also want to share with you guys that a listener uh, emailed. Um, so thank you, Alex L., for emailing an interview with Andrea Wolf. She's the woman that wrote the Alexander von Humboldt book that I referenced last week. So if you enjoyed learning about him and you want to hear some more, I just shared that interview on our Twitter, Current Climate underscore. And if you don't have a Twitter account, you can still access all of our tweets. So for this and in the future, if there's anything that we want to share with you guys, you do not need to sign up and make an account. You can just go to our page and find out there.
0: So we're going to start off uh, this week as we do talking about last week's challenge. The challenge was to not use a dryer to try and save some energy by hang drying our clothes. Like... The pilgrims, (laughs) like they did in ancient Egypt, (laughs) like Columbus did when he sailed to the New World. No, we don't. And I don't like his laundry techniques either. Let me tell you that, Sam. Okay. Uh, Elaborate. (laughs) I want to (laughs) know. Well, assuming Columbus hung his clothes from a clothesline or a ladder in his basement, the basement of the ship. <laughs> um, if that was his technique, I am not the biggest fan. Uh, no, no, but it really didn't it didn't go too bad. Um, I planned for it, though, you know, mm-hmm. I never had a day where I'm like, like, Oh, shoot, I've got an interview, or oh my gosh, I've got a date that it mattered if my clothes were slightly wrinkled or damp or whatever. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> so like I guess I mean it worked because I gave my clothes a few days to dry it it took a few days I, I did it in my basement I'm not I don't have a I don't have the sun where I live I couldn't gotcha. put them outside gotcha. so it's
1: on, it's literally on a ladder in my basement I'm surprised though because I often use an indoor drying rack from time to time for certain things and I don't know I guess I don't check them to like overnight but like for it to be multiple days I guess I find that surprising
0: maybe I got real damp towels I don't know
1: (laughs) that's possible
0: um so you were gonna set up like some rope course (laughs) nails
1: for your socks to zip line on oh yeah So how did
0: that go did
1: they have fun yeah. So I definitely did laundry too late in the day. Um, lesson learned, but I got a plan, you got a yeah, plan for it. Yeah. See, you have the right idea. Um, my, my mom actually emailed into the show. So thank you mom for contacting <laughs> us at podcast at gmail.com. Um, she had some tips um, because she hangs dry, hang dries things all the time. And she said that she likes to hang dry shirts right on their hangers. So that way you just, when they're dry, you just grab them and put them in your closet. And so luckily I saw that before I did my laundry because that was super helpful for saving space. And yes, because normally I put stuff in the dryer and then I dump it all out on my bed and I sort through and like lay everything out. And then I have to fold the pants. And, like, put the socks together and the underwear and everything. And then, like, put all the shirts I hang on hangers. And this way, I did all that first before they were dry. So that when they were dry, I just grabbed them and put them away. So it was, like, the same amount of time, of, like, active time. But <laughs> since I did it so late in the day, I think it, I did it, at, like, 6.30. I hung them up. And then it, like, got dark around 8.30. So they did not dry until I came home from work the following day. My husband's like, are they going to get mildewy? Like, will they get dewy overnight? I was like, I'm just going to freaking risk it. (laughs) And they were (laughs) fine. Yeah, they were fine. So, um, I actually didn't hate the experience. I, you know, full disclosure today, I washed some sheets and I put them in the dryer because they're big and I didn't think it would work with my system. And also something I noticed with drying, we talked about how the dryer like is stealing fabric from your clothes, and that's what the lint is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also taking all the cat fur off of my clothes because right <laughs> all the clothes I like hung dry that are even a little bit staticky, had like tons of cat hair on them. and I, the sheets definitely did. And I was like, I'm not lint rolling my sheets. Which, by the way, I was curious, and I looked up a zero waste lint roller. It's like metal and pick stuff up. So, okay. I'm thinking I could sometimes hang dry. Like it wasn't horrible. I it wasn't as time consuming as I thought it would be. I just have to plan better, you know, put stuff out earlier in the day, you know, plan it out like you did.
0: <laughs> well, and then the decision is like is it worth it to do this to hang it outside, to invest in a zero waste lint roller? To invest in, I guess, an iron because you have wrinkles.
1: I, didn't I don't know. They so, were too wrinkly.
0: I like hung dried towels and hoodies, basically, was like the load of wash I had to do this week. So, nothing really gets wrinkled. But the towels, it doesn't matter that they're wrinkled, but they definitely had creases in them. Okay. So, like,
1: yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't think really a think work it. blouse.
0: Would but the coat hanger thing's a great idea,
1: right? I was so glad that I read that first. And a ladder's only got so
0: many steps on it, you know. Yeah, it's only got so many rungs if you call them. (laughs) If you're a ladder expert, (laughs) so many rungs to hang towels and hoodies from.
1: You know, and I'm I'm realizing that you're totally right about the ironing thing. I don't want to iron. I do think that I can still save energy and my clothes a little bit because basically when I dry them I dry them till they're like dry but still kind of wrinkly and then I like blast them for like five minutes with heat and then lay them out flat and like that's mm-hmm. my version of ironing I suppose I could <laughs> <still do> that. <laughs> I could still do that like five minute blast but it's like at least I'm saving the energy and the time that they're being tumbled around for like the 45 minutes leading up to that Yeah. Um, If it is something that I'm worried about wrinkles, like a lot of the stuff I did was just like casual clothes or like work clothes. And I wear um, a white jacket at work over my shirt. So it doesn't really matter. Um, But yeah, I think for me, it's like I'm not as concerned about the energy usage as far as from like a money standpoint. But if this does help my clothes last longer, I'm really all about that. So I think for some things that I'm just worried about wearing out, I think I'm going to continue to hang dry them.
0: I think, like, the original example, jeans makes a lot of sense.
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
0: the cheapest jeans to the most expensive jeans, like, you just go through them if you're a jeans person.
1: Even the expensive jeans are kind of – I go through expensive jeans pretty quickly, too. Yeah. It's like you want to make them last.
0: Exactly. So that – I think jeans – pants that can't really get wrinkled, which I feel like is most pants – That's a good idea. And I mean, the towels worked fine. I was worried about spiders because I'm in my basement, (laughs) but (laughs) I didn't see any. That doesn't mean they're not there. I didn't see any spiders this week. Uh, So for this week, we're going to do a grab bag where we reach out into the world of environmental topics and pull uh, a couple of interesting tidbits back to talk about And these are gonna come from two questions that we had submitted, um, both about recycling. So honestly, I feel like you guys already get me that all I wanna talk about is trash and recycling. Truly, the challenges, whatever. Let's talk trash. Um, So our first question, we got in an email uh, from Mark L. And basically the gist of it is, isn't washing recyclables a waste of water? Um, When you go to recycle something, the rule is basically it should be clean and dry and loose. It shouldn't be bagged at all. Um, But the concern that a lot of people have is, is it worth it to wash recyclables? Or is that just like pouring water down the drain that is also not great for the environment? But here's why washing your recyclables is the way to go. First, you don't have to use that much water to wash your recyclable, to wash your peanut butter jars, your jam jars, your water bottles, anything like that. Um, you just need the food residue to be out of it because that's what contaminates everything else in your recycling. So all you have to do is get the food out of it. And so that means you can use the same water to clean the recyclables. Oh, um, okay. They don't have to be sanitized like a dish to drinking standards, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can. Fill a peanut butter jar with water, scrape the inside of it using the water, and then pour that same water into a jam jar to loosen the jam in it. Okay. And then, so maybe you want to drink out of that peanut butter jar. <laughs> um, probably, maybe still has a peanut buttery taste to it, but, like, it's clean enough to go into recycling. There's no visible peanut butter in it. The jam jar is not sticky anymore. Um even if maybe it smells like peanut butter, it doesn't have to be like food safe anymore. Okay. So those things can, or then clean enough to go in your recycling bin. Washing your recyclables also saves water. Technically, in the scheme of things, maybe like on your personal bill, you might see an increase in water if you're really going hard and cleaning all your recyclables. Um, so if like money's something you're concerned with, that might be something to consider. Maybe it's uh it's too expensive to use those couple of gallons to wash all your recyclables at the end of the week but generally it takes a lot more water to produce virgin materials
1: Mm.
0: yeah when it comes to plastic i mean plastic comes from petroleum there's a lot of lot of water used in the uh, in the process of getting petroleum um, and then refining it into plastic it's a huge water suck um And then the same thing with making glass, glass is super energy intensive to make, water is used in a lot of the cooling. When you use recycled materials, you can avoid a lot of that initial refinery cost, or energy and water usage. Um, So in that sense, it's better for the environment to use a couple gallons to wash your recyclables, put them in the recycling bin so they can get turned into these new things. The reason you don't want food or anything in them at all anyway is if you have food in your recyclables, in your glass jars, your plastic, whatever it is, if you have food in there, it's going to go in your bin, it's going to go in a truck, it's going to get squished, and it's going to get peanut butter on paper, or it's going to get yogurt on the plastic, on the cardboard. And the load is going to become contaminated and it's going to be rejected. So any recycling you tried to do will be thrown out. Mm. And any recycling your neighbors tried to do that got put in that same truck could get thrown out for being too contaminated.
1: Yikes. So yeah, that's, it's like, you really have to. So I'm assuming it's better to throw away something you can't get clean than to put it in recycling dirty as far as like, From a waste standpoint, right?
0: Right. Um, so I'm kind of having a hard time thinking of something that would be so difficult to clean that
1: it's not worth it. I guess that was me kindly saying for anyone who might be too lazy to clean (laughs) it. (laughs) It's it's better and you know, you should clean it and recycle it, but like if you don't clean it and recycle it, that's worse than throwing it away, essentially.
0: So I think I think I come back to the peanut butter jar a lot because they are tricky to clean. You need to get a spatula in there usually, or you need a dog, something that's really <laughs> going to get those peanut butter crevices clean. A lot of times I will scrape it out with a spatula and then put it in my dishwasher. And that kind of does the rest of the work for it. And it's using no more water um, as I'm running a full load of dishes anyway. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, otherwise, if you're not going to take the time to clean a peanut butter jar, which I think is probably the hardest food thing to clean that I can think of, throw it out. It can't be bundled and sold if it's filled with peanut butter still. And so it's never going to have a new life. And it could just ruin other recyclables and prevent them from having a new life. And so our next question uh, came in on Twitter, from Dylan D., He's wondering if the issue with not being able to recycle glass is more that we've oversaturated the market. We have so much virgin glass that we don't need to recycle glass. Um, and in a sense, that's kind of, that's a fair point to make. Um, glass is something that can be made from silica. It is made from silica. And that's a very um, an abundant material. So we can make a lot of virgin glass. So in that sense, there is not a huge need to recycle glass. And if that need is not there, coupled with the fact that recycling glass is kind of expensive, um, people are gonna choose virgin glass for their manufacturing of bottles and jars and all of that. Um, Of course, it'd be better to use uh, recycled glass for for new materials but to make a new material glass is only strong if it's super pure um if there's any impurities in it it's gonna cause a weakened point in the glass and it can shatter you know at any time that weak point is hit tapped touched whatever so it has to be like super clean and when it comes to recycling glass right now our methods make it very difficult to get clean glass. Whether you're single stream curbside collection or your dual stream community, or you bring your bottles to the supermarket to be recycled, either way, they're breaking. The colored glasses are mixing. Glass can only be used in one color okay. uh, clear, green, or brown. You can't really mix them. Um, so once they do get mixed, they're very hard to separate. If they're in single stream, they could be mixed with paper and plastic as well. So it makes it really hard to mix, really hard to get it clean. And to get it perfectly clean so it can be reused as a new bottle or jar would be very, very expensive. And people don't, <laughs> people don't want to pay that if they can get virgin material that's already clean. Um, so that's why recycled glass often falls to these, like, secondary sources, sandblasting, um, concrete aggregate, the, like, little particles and paving stuff that make the road stronger, um, or rail cover. That's kind of what glass ends up being. Um, and it's a secondary use It's not ideal, but um, when there is so much virgin glass and it's readily available and it's cheaper, people will use it like a lot of things that are environmentally friendly, this could be helped with a subsidy. If if we were able to get government grants um, to make up that cost difference between virgin glass and truly clean recycled glass, so people could have the choice of using recycled glass, I think that would make a big difference. But as of right now, if recycled glass is so expensive to clean to the purity standards it would need to be at, to be a new bottle. I just don't see people choosing that over readily available new glass.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And do you think that maybe, you know, is it a technology issue as well? Like, do you think that the recycling methods that we have for glass right now just aren't quite where they need to be to make it more affordable and make it more like reasonable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's like different levels to the tech. So if generally if you put something through a a reverse vending machine at like your supermarket, you put a mm-hmm. glass bottle in there, it's only going to be bottles going through there. So that can be kind of a clean glass. Um it's maybe the cleanest. Okay. And then like dual stream and single stream, those are just containers you put by the curb. So as much as you try to keep stuff out, they can always get mixed with stuff. And then they go to um, a material recovery facility that breaks the glass and it falls through like a, like a sorter. Um, and a lot of times paper and plastic can get involved in that or can get mixed in with that. And make it difficult to separate it out. And in that process, it becomes dirtier. Gotcha. So it's tricky. I guess new tech, different tech would help, but people like single stream and dual stream and curbside recycling because Mm -hmm. it's so convenient. And we have in the recycling we have today because it's convenient and there's a truck that comes and picks it up for you. And I think people are willing to Sacrifice the quality of the recyclables for that convenience.
1: I guess that does make sense because ultimately it means more people are recycling more of the time, which is better for the environment overall.
0: Exactly. So with curbside recycling, like recycling rates jumped up 25%. So that's 25% more material, even if 5% of it is contaminated or broken or not sellable that's still you know plus 20 percent recycling so it's a complicated thing of course recycled materials will always be preferred by the environment but by the <laughs> manufacturer by the consumer uh, by the industries it's going to be a while before recycled glass is as good as virgin glass
1: our next segment today is policy pizza, a small slice of a big policy pie. Yum. <laughs> so um, this week I want to cover two policy-related things that are really interconnected. Um, the first is an executive order by President Trump, and the second is a Senate bill put forward by Senator Ted Cruz. So, some background. Earlier this year, in January, Trump implemented a rule change to the National Environmental Policy Act, or the NEPA. The NEPA. NEPA. Oh, I didn't know if people called it NEPA or just listed it out. So, this is going to save me so much time. Thank you, April. I know. I
0: know. NEPA, it is cute. It is catchy. It used to be great.
1: I like that. Used to. So NEPA was put forward in 1970, and it requires federal agencies to assess the impact proposed projects would have on the environment. And then it also gives citizens avenues to speak out against unwanted projects in their community that would impact the environment and therefore them. And then when Trump made this rule change, um, Ted Cruz put out a press release saying he approved of the proposed changes because the NEPA review process and I quote, has increased in length from an average of two years to four and a half years. Um, So fast forward to June, where we are now. (laughs) So on June 4th, Trump put out an executive order. The order uses COVID-19 as reasoning for development to occur under emergency situations. So yeah, so the hope is that because the economy is in a really bad place, by fast forwarding on developmental projects, it will help boost the economy. And this would allow government agencies to move forward with the construction projects without first assessing environmental impacts as NEPA requires. And I wanna read directly from section six of the executive order. So these regulations provide that when emergency circumstances make it necessary to take actions with significant environmental impacts Without observing the regulations, agencies may consult with the Council on Environmental Quality to make alternative arrangements to such actions. Using this authority, Council on Environmental Equality has appropriately approved alternative arrangements in a wide variety of pressing emergency situations. These emergencies have included not only natural disasters and threats to the national defense, but also threats to human and animal health, energy security, Agriculture and farmers and employment and economic prosperity. So they're basically saying that because in the past, the requirements of NEPA have been ignored in emergency situations like natural disasters, threats to human and animal health, national defense, um, and then, you know, employment and economic prosperity, they can do that now for economic prosperity. So I read an article from The Hill with critiques of the executive order. There's a lot of concern that this is going to open up the possibility to have projects of not only like highway development, but also pipelines, oil and gas projects, and other polluting industries. 100%. Yeah, and the other concern is right in the middle of these incredible protests in support of Black Lives Matter, these projects historically have impacted communities of color. So it's a real insult to Black Americans because it's like, okay, it's like threefold. COVID, it affects your respiratory health, right? So that's a concern that people have right now. Two, Black Lives Matter protests. We're really stressing how the country has let down Black Americans forever. And then three, it's like, okay, let's approve projects without environmental review, without giving citizens the opportunity to speak up and say, nope, I don't want that in my neighborhood. And often, it's, these projects lead to air pollution. So it's, it's just awful. No other way to say it. It's just awful. I think that there's people who don't care about the environment because they think when they think of the environment, I think they think of like bears and trees and they're like, (laughs) I don't care about that. Right. But the environment is our home. And when we hurt the environment, we are hurting people. And I care about bears and trees, but I get that some people might only care about people, but you have to understand that if bears and trees are effective, people will be too, you know? Like, you can't ignore communities in our country and say, you know, yeah, their lives don't matter. We can skip over these processes that are, have been, been put in place to protect people because I need more money in my wallet.
0: Oh. <laughs> 100, no, 100% though. So NEPA requires you to fill out um, an environmental impact statement. Which is why it takes so long because you're supposed to survey everything. Everything that your project could impact. You're supposed to know every species that's in the area. You're supposed to know the people in the area. You're supposed to account for all of that in one of these environmental impact assessments, surveys, reports, whatever. Um, And so it's really like, it's disheartening to hear uh, because typically like a council would look it over and then if they find no significant impact um, you're allowed to carry on with your project but they can continue asking questions or asking for more information um, and accepting more comments from citizens groups like um, for for a long time to get a really like well-rounded project Mm -hmm. so when i know of the country's history of putting pipelines through uh you know south dakota land of indigenous people thinking that you don't have to do a survey that thinks about how you're going to impact those people in that community thinking that you can get around the survey element or something by saying it's an emergency It's a national security emergency or it's an energy security emergency. Mm
1: -hmm. Those are
0: the two big things that I feel like this particular presidency has been all about. Um, It's all about oil. (laughs) And uh, if you can write off the air pollution or say, we need oil so fast, we can't really look at that right now. We just have to do it and deal with the consequences later, knowing that this particular administration may never deal with those consequences.
1: Mm -hmm. And that also the people dealing with the consequences are usually low income and minority groups. Yes,
0: so they're the ones that can't afford to move away. Right. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, (laughs) It is. The process, like, it's it's hard because, you know, I respect businesses. I respect uh, the ability to make money, to make a profit. All of that is, like, super central to America. I get that. But profits should never come at harming other people. Mm-hmm. And that's something this country does far too well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when we start dismantling the few protections that we have. Um, All you can hope is that gets reversed by the next one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And to make matters worse, I think that basically I wanna share what um, Ted Cruz put forward because it's like, oh, cool, we're gonna, you know, ignore NEPA. And like, you know, this is an executive order, which there are checks and balances like, you know, down the line that could be reversed, but it's like Ted Cruz is taking a preemptive action to make sure that it continues to stay this way. So on June 10th, Cruz brought two bills to the Senate floor. The first is called the Federal Permitting Modernization Act of 2020, and it establishes a series of deadlines for agency actions, um, which gives project proponents more control over the timetable and prevents Basically, from things being held up in court. So it's siding with the people that want to do the project, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then the second one would shorten the timetable for filing a petition for judicial review of that permit or license of an infrastructure project. So right now it's 150 days, and he would wanna lower that to 90 days. So it's like if you're a citizen who's concerned about a project coming into the area, now you got to act fast. And what if you don't even hear about it till day 89? I just want to quote him real quick. He said, For far too long, complying with NEPA has hindered key infrastructure projects and in some cases has left projects effectively halted in court. These much-needed reforms will streamline the approval process and roll back burdensome delays, all of which are needed to get the boot of big government off the backs of businesses and Ew. help get men and women all across the country back to work
0: big government okay ted cruz (laughs) pull it back orson wells who do you think you are big government they're trying to save salamanders they're trying to save species they're trying to protect people
1: from an outside perspective like if you take a step back and just view the world it's like it should be a no-brainer to protect the environment because we need air to breathe and water to drink and land to stand on, so it should be a no-brainer. But it's not because there's people who know that they'll always be okay, so they're gonna push their agenda and screw everyone else. That's that's what it a really great feels way like. to put it.
0: Yes, and like you know, like I said, I get business has to function, and maybe having not put anything through this administrative process. Maybe I don't know how, like, arduous and time-consuming and, like, ridiculous or arbitrary it is. But I just, there's no, there's nothing I think that can justify this kind of attitude of, attitude of do first, ask forgiveness later.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, we'll build a highway through vernal pools first and then we'll say it was an emergency and then we'll do like the environmental impact assessment after we've already ruined something
1: researching this it was easiest to find information by looking at press releases from the white house and from ted cruz's office besides that like the hill article that i found and um yeah i'm thinking it's not getting a lot of coverage because you know there's so much else going on with the pandemic and with Black Lives Matter. And I think they saw this as an opportunity, you know, like we were talking about, I think a few weeks ago about like, oh, let's use the pandemic to sneak stuff through when people aren't paying attention. But it's actually super relevant to those two things going on right now. So I hope this blows up in their face like, oh crap, this was terrible timing because everyone's concerned about these issues. Um, That's going to be the hope that gets me through. I think that's good. I, I like that. Hopefully. Yeah. It is now time to talk about our challenge for this coming week. What do you got? So, the challenge this week is to not use paper towels. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me your
0: thoughts. Um, so I saw a meme once that was like You know your dad if, like, and then it's a picture of crumpled up paper towels on the counter. And that was when I realized I was a father (laughs) because I do that. I use paper towels all the time. And then I put them in my pockets for later, or I leave them on the counter for later. And I don't know if I ever go back to them. Sometimes I do. If I put them in my pocket, I'll go back to them. But anyway, moral of the story. I love paper towels. Love them. (laughs) I use them all the time. I don't know how I'm not
1: going to use them,
0: to be honest.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what made me think of this is that I grew up in my home. We had paper towels, but we didn't use them very frequently. And then I moved out, and I think I just started using them more. And it's just a convenience thing. So, the other day, I spilled something on the counter, and growing up, you'd grab the sponge to clean that up, but I was reaching for paper towels, and that's what made me think of this. I was like, "Huh, When did that change? Can I get out of this habit? Like, can I be a little bit more like conservationy <laughs> about paper towel usage because I certainly got by in the past without using them. But I also remember my job was to clean the bathroom. As a as a teenager, and I would insist on using paper towels, um, even though my mom was like, "You can use a microfiber cloth and reuse it or whatever." I was like, "No, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> I'm using paper towels." So I certainly was more of a fan of them, but it still like wasn't my like an everyday thing. I always dried my hands on it, like a hand towel and cleaned the counter with a sponge.
0: Yeah. See, like after after I do dishes. I do not want to use the towel over my stove to wa- uh, to dry my hands. I don't know why. I always grab a paper towel. That towel is right there. But something about it just seems unhygienic to me. Even though I dry my hands with a paper towel and then I put that paper towel directly in my pocket. <laughs> for, for later. Yeah. For like sunflower seeds later. Or um. I have no idea. (laughs) I find them in the wash all the time. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. They're always like, talk about maybe the benefits of not using the dryer. (laughs) I won't shred so many paper towels (laughs) in it.
1: That's a really good point. Um, and I wanted to look up because I'm like, you know, do paper towels even use that many resources? Like paper is compostable, you know, like Paper towels, I don't think – you can't recycle them, right, because they're too soft and, like, they yeah. get dirty. And there's,
0: yeah, exactly. There's probably stuff on them.
1: Yeah. So, But, like, they're compostable, and it's, like, a natural fiber that can return to the earth. So it's like, isn't that big of a deal? So look some stuff up. <laughs> um, first off, though, I do want to tell you that a 2000 Mayo Clinic study found that there's no evidence that – there's any difference in bacteria on your hands between paper towels, cloth towels, warm forced air, or spontaneous evaporation, aka just letting your hands dry on their own. So at least 20 years ago, <laughs> that's how things were. Don't wait, think wait, so that's saying like hand dryers too? Yeah.
0: Cause I'll admit I see those hand dryers and people always told me that like that they like spread bacteria. So I don't use them. I use paper towels.
1: Yeah, I, I depends. I don't like the ones that are like super weak. You know, if there's an option, it's like a super weak hand dryer and it's paper towels. I'm gonna use paper towels. But I love like the Dyson Airblade, like fancy hand dryers. (laughs) Those are so cool, and it's fast. I'm like, and my hands are actually dry after. Instead of like, okay, now my hands are warm and wet. (laughs) (laughs) That's not helpful. Um, So I like that. But um, yeah, they basically said that like the efficiencies of removing bacteria and like essentially like the amount of bacteria left on your hands is this is pretty much the same across the board like it's not enough interesting to to worry about it another interesting thing i discovered is that paper towels are like an american thing which i didn't necessarily expect
0: Just like Ted Cruz and pipelines, (laughs) USA. (laughs) USA.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Americans overall spend $5.7 billion a year on paper towels for home use. And that's nearly half of the amount of money spent on paper towels across the world.
0: And So. so like the other part of that would be commercial use. So in businesses. Right. Okay. That's a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then in 2017, the average American spent 17 1750 on paper towels, um, and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't sound so bad." But then the next, the next highest was Norway, and they spent an average of eleven dollars and seventy cents. So it was like a six dollar jump. <laughs> so it just yeah. shows that Americans are using them a lot more than anyone else, and. Um, so they also clarified that it's not because Americans are using paper towels as napkins. Cause I certainly do occasionally. And I've been to people's homes where they don't even have napkins, but they give you a paper towel with dinner, but actually Americans buy more paper napkins than any other nation too. Oh,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. so very American. Um, and then what was cool about this article and the article I'm referencing is from earth911.com and, um, it, the title was Breaking Americans' Paper Towel Addiction. So specifically looking at America and paper towel use, usage. But what was cool is they highlighted what people use for cleaning in other countries. So in the United States, it's paper towels. And the next top users of paper towels are always European, they found. But most Europeans are more likely to use a sponge to clean. In Latin America, scrub brushes are the most popular tool. In the Asia-Pacific region, mops and brooms are the most popular tool. And then in Africa and the Middle East, more people do stuff with cloth towels. So that's just interesting because I think it also gives us an idea of like items that we can use this week. Yeah, Um, cloth
0: towels. That was like my initial mm -hmm. thought. That would be what I would go to. Again, I think sponges are kind of gross.
1: I definitely feel the same way, and um, my mom raised me with this two sponge system, where you have one sponge <laughs> for counters. <laughs> the two sponge system. This know. This yeah, it was it, the
0: And the two two sponge system. Same she swears two by sponges.
1: it. She's gonna listen to this and be like, "Yeah, I swear by it." <laughs> um, so you have one sponge for the counter and one sponge for your dishes. And as your dishes sponge gets worn out, you then replace the counter sponge with it, throw that one away, and then get a new one for the dishes. And you don't do this super frequently, but it's like enough so that like, I don't feel too grossed out by it. Very occasionally I will like disinfect the counter after wiping it off with a sponge. But for the most part, if my concern is just like sauce on the counter, I'm not too worried about it. I'm not like eating off the counter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, But if it's like, oh, I'm going to be baking and I need to roll stuff out on the counter, then I'm going to disinfect it first. Like, I get nervous about it in that sense. But it's not like I feel like I need to do it every day.
0: So this week, I'm going to probably find some cloth towels. I'll probably use that. And then Mm -hmm. I'll see if I can get my boyfriend on board with a two-sponge system, maybe going (laughs) forward. Because, I mean, that does make sense. Like, sometimes you're just wiping up the smallest thing with paper towels. Right.
1: And if I wipe the counter with it,
0: if I'm just wiping the counter with it, I'm not putting that back in my pocket to save. Right. (laughs) Only (laughs) hand-drying towels get saved for future uses.
1: Yeah. And um, real quick, I just realized I never, like, I, I shared all these facts about paper towels, but my initial thing was, like, are they even that wasteful? And it uh, turns out they are.
0: <laughs> Big um, surprise, something I love. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, the stat I found was saying that it takes 17 trees and more than 20,000 gallons of water to make one ton of paper towels. But I'm like, I don't know what the heck a ton looks like. That means nothing to me, right? <laughs> like, that could be very little or so much. I have no idea. So, I calculated um, how many gallons of water are needed. For a six pack of paper towels because I figure that's what a lot of us would buy and mm-hmm. that's 37 and a half gallons of water and 3.2% of a tree <laughs> now that doesn't sound like a lot of tree either but as, overall as Americans we use 110.5 million trees every year for paper towels alone wow yeah
0: wow that's not good
1: (laughs) right and then for water it's 130 billion gallons of water damn yeah so it's it's really interesting to see you think you're just wasting that little square of paper towel but you're actually wasting all the resources and time and energy and travel that it took for that little square to get in your hands to be used for that one little spill on the counter you know what i mean yeah oh it should be interesting i think i'm going to put some cloth towels right next to the paper towels so i remember cuz this is the first yeah. time i'm concerned about remembering
0: the easier it is and the easier it is to remember that's definitely so important because mm-hmm. otherwise before you know it i have four paper towels in in my pocket stuffed in the couch in my pocketbook all around
1: the house and your plan is just to reuse them i don't know i just don't (laughs) want to throw them out
0: (laughs) i I keep them and then i put them in the laundry and then i do throw them out because they ruined my clothes in the dryer (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) benefits of two of our challenges (laughs) all rolled up into one i know it's gonna be good
0: Thank you guys so much for joining us again this week. Uh, definitely check in if you have questions or you're trying your challenges or there's anything you want us to talk about. Uh, be sure to check in with us.
1: Yes. We would love to hear from you. You can, once again, you can find us on Twitter, current climate underscore email us current climate at gmail.com. And then If you are so inclined, we would love it if you could give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to help our podcast reach more listeners. And we want to know what you think. We'd love to hear what you like or don't like so that we can keep on improving and incorporating your thoughts.
0: Thanks again, guys. Bye. Bye.